morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. Um, you know, it's funny when you get ready to go preach, the strangest things happen um, happened to you. Uh, right as I was getting ready to stand up here, my water bottle decided to explode all over, all over the floor, so that's pretty awesome. Um, that must mean that uh, God is with us and Satan doesn't want him to be here. Um, that uh, you're about to hear words of life and Satan only wants distraction and death. Um, and so if you would please open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible and you're working off of your um, working off of your electronic device, open that up. Open up your favorite app. And if you would please stand, out of respect for uh, the Word of God, we don't stand because I'm reading. Um, we stand because at this moment of the service, we enter into something special. Um, we enter into something special where we actually hear from God, and we hear from him directly in his word, and so pay careful attention to the reading of God's word. To the choir master with the stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say... Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Thus far the reading of God's word. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you now and we desperately need to hear your word. Um, God, where else can we go to hear the words of life? You alone give those. And so, God, I pray that you would open our ears that we might hear your word, sharpen our minds that we might assent to the truthfulness of it, and then, God, give us faith that we might lie down and sleep knowing that you, O oh Lord, are the one who provides us with safety. Help us to rest in you. God, there are so many accusers who come in from the outside. They tell us all the things that are wrong with us. There are so many times where accusations rise from inside of us, telling us that we just aren't good enough. And God, when we look at your law and our lives, we see those things don't match up. Um, God, thank you that you are the God of our righteousness. So now, Lord, be with us, we pray, as we go and we study your word. Be with us, help us to hear from you. Be with your preacher as he's distracted and sinful and broken and exhausted. God, give me strength. We pray for Christ's sake in the building of his kingdom for his glory. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 3, which was a liturgy for the morning. I don't know if you guys got that or not, but it was a liturgy for the morning. Um, 
You remember in Psalm 3, David says, I, lie, I laid down and I woke up and I was able to face a fearful day, a day full of anxiety. Now we're taking a look at Psalm 4. It's really interesting. I love, I love the Psalter and frankly, I love God because he gives us these two bookends, right? Psalm 4 now is a liturgy for the evening. It was written for you right before you go to bed for you to read through it after having a day full of failure, a day full of anxiety, a day full of fear. And it's labeled that way because here you see in verse, uh, in verse 8 at the very end of the text, it says, In peace I'll both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You see... The psalmist lies down and sleeps. Just think about that for a minute. The psalmist lays down and he sleeps. The question that comes to my mind when I read this is, what can you do when you're sleeping? How can you defend yourself? You can't, right? Um, you, can't, you can't defend yourself against accusers. You can't defend yourself against enemies. When you lay down and sleep, it's this picture. This picture not only of rest, but of trust. Trust. And here in Psalm 4, trust in the middle of impossible circumstances. It's worth noting that God provides us this pattern because he knows that we're weak. He knows that we forget. He knows that you're like me. And I'm like you, and every day I go through my day, and then at the end of the day, right before my pillow hits the bed, he knows that most days, the, the voice of the accuser starts to whisper in my ear, Joel, you were a real jerk to that person today. And then I'm like, oh, shoot, you're right, voice. And it's like, yeah. They know you're a Christian, Joel, and you were a real jerk. In fact, they know you were a pastor. And I'm like, oh, no, you're really right. And the voice is like, are you sure you're a Christian? And I'm like, well, yeah, voice, of course I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. Come on, people. And the voice is like, are you really sure, though? I'm like, oh, shoot, I don't act like one. You're right, voice. Am I really one? You see, the reality is we need to know in the mornings, that when we wake up, God is our shield. He's our fortress around us. We need to know in the evening that God vindicates us because that's good news. That's good news. Our righteousness is not inside of us, but it's outside of us. He doesn't say, the psalmist doesn't say, I'll get up 
and I'll have enough faith to face the day. The psalmist doesn't say, I'll get up and I'll look at my own works and I'll know that I'm good to go. He doesn't say, I'm gonna lay down and rest in my own righteousness. No, he says something completely different and what he says is actually good news. So today, main point. This is the big overarching theme. So if you're a note taker, get your pens ready. Um, Here we go. God has lifted his face towards you in Jesus. Because God has lifted his face towards you in Jesus, you can rest. You can rest in his care and love for you. Because God has lifted his face towards you in Jesus, you can rest in his care and love for you. We're going to unpack this in three points. Um, three big, three big points. Um, we're going to spend the most in the in the first point, and then we're going to go through quickly the second two. But the first one is this: real simple. God has vindicated you. Second one, God is faithful. Third one, God gives you rest, safety, and joy. God gives you rest, safety, and joy. So first, God has vindicated you. Um, David's still in distress. We left him off last time I was here. He was being chased by his son Absalom. Here we see David still in distress. His enemies are coming from around him. And David cries out to God. Now, if you'll remember, uh, last time when I was here, uh, we talked about how David used these, these kind of staccato phrases, right? I cried. I called. I laid down, I woke up, and then he turned into this, play, this uh, these phrases where he's like telling God, answer me, arise God, at the end of Psalm 3. Well, here in Psalm 4, we get it right from the get-go. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. This is an imperative verb again. I mean, first of all, like if you're like me when you read this, you think to yourself, who speaks to God like this? Um, who tells God what to do? Well, the man after God's own heart tells him what to do. <laughs> but you notice it's not like a shaking his fist at God. You see, I think this is what separates David from Job, right? Job was saying, God, you get in the dock. You come, you answer my questions. Here, David's like, God, answer me. Answer me, please. All my accusers are pressing in around. Wicked men are surrounding me. Now they've turned from physical violence to verbal uh, accusations. And he's like, answer me, God. David cries out to the one who can rightly judge the situation. Answer me. David knows who he's calling out to. It's the God of his righteousness. It's the one whose opinion truly matters. It's the God of his righteousness. The one, the one, the God who has made him righteous. The God who has chosen him and anointed him as righteous. David's appealing to God. God, 
answer me. And God isn't removed. God isn't removed from David's situation. God doesn't stay away from you when the accusations are true. Have you ever had that happen to you? Um, You do something that's incredibly stupid. This is like a daily occurrence for me. Um, You do something that's incredibly stupid. You say something that's really wrong, right? You do something that's really wrong. And all of a sudden, you start to realize that your friend group has thinned out. And you're like, I mean, I know I was a jerk, but like, really? God's not uncaring. God's not removing himself. God doesn't move away from you. God doesn't sit by the wayside as you're maligned. God moves in and he defends and David appeals to the God of his righteousness. As one author puts it, the phrase God of my right is even more steadying by its appeal to God's character. He says, God, you are my righteousness. David looks to the one who's outside of himself. This is really key. Really key. Um, 1517, Reformation starts. 1518, Luther's in big trouble. Why? Because he says, We don't look to ourselves for our righteousness. We look to someone else. We look to someone outside of us for our righteousness. The nerdy Latin phrase is extra nos, right? It's outside of our own being. We look outside of ourselves for our righteousness. Who is David looking to? Who do we look to? Second Corinthians, the Apostle Paul tells us. Second Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, he, being God the Father, made him, being God the Son, to, listen to this, made him to be sin. Who knew no sin. He didn't say he... he made him to commit sins. He made him to be sin. Who knew no sin, so that, in order that, in him, we, you, with all your sins, me, with all my anger and pride, you, with all your lust, Me, with all of my tendencies, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, if that doesn't give you the chills, 
then I've done a really bad job explaining it. When God looks at you now, he doesn't see you and think to himself, unrighteous. When God looks at you now, he says, righteousness. Righteousness. In the face of your accusers, God says, righteous, righteousness. Why? Because Christ became sin so that you could become righteousness. This is the God of your righteousness. This is what makes David's appeal land. It's not because David's a good guy. It's not because you're a good guy or I'm a good guy. It's because Jesus became sin so that you could be righteous. You see all the accusers, they press in. They say, wait a second here. Wait a second here. Don't you know Joel? Don't you know what he's done? Satan stands there with a whole list of things that I've done. And it's like, don't you know? Don't you know? And it's like you're, these accusations are pressing in around you. David remembers the past actions of God in delivering. And God gives him space. You see the quote up here on the screen. In his distress, in his constraint, in him feeling bound, God has given him room. God has given him room to be, space to live. God has given him freedom and God gives you the same thing. And so you can call out with David, answer, be gracious to me. Um, notice the answer. The answer comes from the mouth of David himself. He says to the false accusers, no, <laughs> know this. Understand this. Remember, it's God who set me apart for himself. It's God who's made me righteous. That God, that's a God you want to go worship. The very fact that God answers proves that David is set apart. And the very fact that God answers you with peace in the midst of your struggle, peace in the midst of your accusing conscience, that very fact, the fact that God brings us together and every week we hear that all of our sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, that fact proves, proves that God is the God of your righteousness and he has set you apart dear believer in Christ so where do you stand today are you one of those who um, 
tries to find your righteousness in God? Are you one who looks outside of yourself to him? Or are you someone who stands here today and says, yeah, um, I'm pretty good at life. Joel, you may be a jerk, but I'm not. Um, I, just, I just started uh, watching uh, The Good Place. And uh, if any of you have watched that, it's like plus negative. You go to the good place, you go to the bad place, right? Um, um, are you someone like that? Who thinks, if I get enough good on my side, God will have to accept me. Know this, if that's you today, if you're in that second group, then there's a much better way. There's a way of freedom. Why? Because God has promised to vindicate, vindicate his people and God is faithful. Point two. Now in verse six, this question is posed and David puts himself in the place of the many, this great crowd, who will show us some good? <laughs> I feel like that's like this constant question that's going on right now as we look to leaders, as we look to people around us in society and we're like, who will show us some good? We have little pockets of good, right? Um, we have little pockets of people who are helping, who are altruistic, who love others. Um, but in all of those things, we know um, that those people like to get um, find some of their self-worth in it, right? Um, who will show us some good, some good that doesn't uh, fill your own needs, some good that isn't self-serving. And we hear this phrase in response. Who will show us some good? Look down at your Bibles. Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Now once you hear that, like alarm bells should be going off in, uh, in your head. Um, because you hear that phrase all the time, every week. Um, the Lord bless you and keep you, right? Um, the Lord turn his face on you and give you peace. The Lord lift up his countenance, or sorry, and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. You see, this is a blessing. This is a benediction. This is a good word that's spoken over you. The Lord is lifted up his face on you. You see, God has turned his face toward you, and it's not in judgment. God has turned his face towards you, and it's not in judgment. What it's in is it's in this loving gaze. Why? Because the judgment that was due to us was borne away by Christ. It was taken away by Christ. And you see, the funny thing about God is, when God makes a promise, God delivers on the promise. God doesn't change. God delivered David. God delivered Christ, and God will deliver you. God is faithful. John Bunyan said this. 
um, this was in the evening. He said, one evening, one day, as I was passing through a field, suddenly I thought of a sentence. Your righteousness is in heaven. And with eyes of faith, I saw Christ sitting at God's right hand. And I suddenly realized, there is my righteousness. Wherever I was, whatever I was doing, God could not say, where is your righteousness? Because it was right in front of him. I saw that my good frame of heart could not make my righteousness better, nor a bad frame of heart make my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, friends, when God promised Christ a people, God had you in mind. When God promised Christ that when he raised him from the dead, he would be vindicated that became your justification, and God is faithful. God will not fail at his promise. In the face of your, of your accusers, in the face of your own doubts, God, have I gone too far this time? Have I done too much? God has promised and God is faithful. You see, in Christ, God has forgiven all your sins and he tells you to rest. To trust in him as he causes you to rest. The accusations no longer have power because their power has been broken by the blood of Christ. And when God sees you, God sees Christ, and God is faithful to Christ. God is faithful to you. You see, this, this means that the accuser no longer has power over you. In the middle of the night, when you lay there staring at the ceiling, wondering, does God love me? Your righteousness is right in front of God. It's the very Son of God. It's God Himself. Isaiah tells us that our names are engraved in the palms of God's hands, of Christ's hands, and they're ever, always in front of Him. You see, that's how, God, how faithful God is. I don't mean to be crass by saying this, but that's how faithful God is. God has your name tattooed into the palms of his hands. It ain't going away. You know what else is in the palms of his hands? Scars. You know what those scars were for? Hanging him to the cross. You see, that's how faithful God is. When Christ was crucified, you were crucified. When Christ was raised, you were raised. So that now you, friend, brother, sister in Christ, are the righteousness of God. And God is faithful.
Last point. God gives you joy, safety, and rest. Um, this, is, this is the sort of sermon a lot of times uh, preachers uh, will say that they're preaching out ahead of themselves. Um, what that means is, is that we're preaching sermons we actually need to hear. Um, we're preaching sermons that convict our own hearts, um, that give our own hearts rest. You see, I'm someone who's, uh, whose conscience is always accusing me. Um, and trust me, it's got a long list. Um, and that list is pretty dang accurate. Um, what we need, instead of a list of accusations, is we need joy. We need safety. We need rest. And God gives those to us. He says, you've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You see, the situation hasn't resolved for David. Uh, David's still in the middle of it. Uh, there is no uh, like magical deliverance that's gone on yet. David's still sitting there. The accusers are still coming after him. They still have a great case. But David says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. David affirms the confidence that he has in God, that God has answered, that God has been gracious, that God has heard his prayers as he's requested in verse 1. And he affirms this. And while he's thinking about this, he breaks out in this kind of superb affirmation of God's work, showing the difference between joy and happiness. You see, a lot of times we think um, to be joyful in the Lord means we need to walk around with smiles all the time, right? Uh, we think that it's like, yeah, no. Um, everything's great. I have joy in the Lord. Um, I don't know. I, this is not. Uh, recently, my wife miscarried. And it's hard to be happy. Um, it's hard to walk into church uh, when people know that your wife was pregnant and she's not anymore. That's hard. That's not a time to walk around and be like, yeah, my wife just miscarrying. You see, inward joy is something very different than outward happiness and pleasure. Inward joy is characterized by the steady flow of being poured into by God and then being poured out in love towards your neighbor by God. It's increasing because it's based on something that isn't wavering. It's based on something that never stops. We just sang it, right? The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. 
this love that just keeps coming at you over and over again. You see, things like grain and wine are good things, right? Um, there's these things of celebration. Uh, I don't know about you, but I love breaking open a fresh baked uh, uh, loaf of bread and having a great bottle of wine with it. Um, that brings outward happiness. But you know what the problem with grain and wine is? Outside of the context of the supper, let me just say that, make that qualification. The problem with grain and wine is that the happiness it brings, first of all, is false happiness. And second of all, goes away as soon as the taste leaves your lips, leaves your tongue. And yet we go to those things, right? <laughs> When my wife miscarried, um, I took Proverbs seriously. A little bit of wine is good um, for a downtrodden spirit, right? Um, maybe I took it a little bit too seriously. But we go to those things. I have a bad day, and what's the first thing I do when I get home? I open up the cabinet and look for chocolate. I have a really bad day, go for something else. Grain and wine are only temporary. They aren't bad, but they're only temporary. And yet we look to these things to find lasting joy, a new job, a new house, a remodeled kitchen. I can't tell you how many times I've tried this one, losing 10 pounds. New clothes, new purse, new shoes, new sunglasses, new car, new wife, new children. All we're doing is just slapping band-aids on ourselves. Trying to find real joy, but outward pleasure is only temporary. How do I know? Because every time I get a new job, I give it about eight months, and then I'm like, dang, I need a new job. David prays for inward joy, which would be greater than these outward manifestations which characterize his society the joy and rejoicing which stemmed from a successful harvest of corn and grapes for new wine. The greatest joy for which he prayed was not that of a harvest home, but a, an awareness of the light of God's countenance. He doesn't just give us joy, though. He gives us safety. Um, David, once again, is in Psalm 3, affirms his trust in God by, by this simple act of trust, right? He lays down and he sleeps. Um, peaceful sleep. Restful sleep. God has answered his cry. And David shows that by his response. And he rests. He receives the rest of God. 
Uh, the great thing about this psalm is that there's nothing that David does. <laughs> David doesn't stand up and say to his accusers, wait a second, let me tell you all the good things about myself. He prays and he rests. God gives David rest after a day of difficulties, after a day of accusation, after a day of worry, because all of the worries and concerns that press in on David have been placed on Christ and answered in Christ. All the accusations have been given to Christ. Heidelberg Disputation number 26 says this, the law of God says do this and it's never done. Grace says believe in this and everything is already done. How does this happen? How does this happen? Uh, Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice for you. He offered himself so that in him you can find deliverance and joy and safety and rest. Praise be to God. So that you don't have to look at yourself in the mirror anymore and think, did I get it? Grace says, it's already done. So what concerns you today? What keeps you up at night? Is it the voice of your conscience? Is it the voice of the law accusing you, reminding you of your failure? Dear friend, God is your righteousness does the voice of the accuser come to you and remind you of all the ways you're not who you want to be? You're not who God wants you to be? Know that God has turned his face towards you and Jesus. Know that God has turned his face towards you in Jesus. And when he does that, there's love and joy and safety. This God... This God of your righteousness is the one who invites you, saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So how do we actually practice this? Um, this week I was actually really uh, on top of the ball. I sent in the gospel liturgy last night at midnight. So if you'll pull that up um, on the screen, it should be the next one. Um, it's a liturgy for, the fear, for a fearful evening. And this can be done by yourself or with a group, like we said last time. And, but it looks like this when you are getting ready to go to bed and pray. I lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord, so I can lie down and sleep. Sleep and dwell in safety. Then you silently pray. You say that out loud. Then you silently pray, answer me when I call and then confess your worries to God confess the accusations that are on you to God then you say out loud again together lift up the light of your face upon us O Lord so I can lie down sleep and dwell in safety then pray out loud Lord hear me when I call confess your fears Confess your sins. Confess to God. 
Then say out loud again, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord, so that I can lie down and sleep and dwell in safety. Then pray out loud, Lord, put joy in my heart. Please give me peace. And then pray, Lord, thank you that in Jesus you have lifted up the light of your face on us. You've made it so I can lie down, sleep, and dwell in safety. May God make Harbor City Church a church that is that experiences this safety, joy, and rest because of the work of Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much um, that in the face of our failure, uh, you've succeeded. God, in the face of the accusations that come in from outside of us, you, you have answered those. You've stripped them of their power, and you've delivered us to newness of life. God, thank you that in you we can rest and have joy and dwell in safety, have peace. God, these are all gifts that are undeserved, and yet you give them to us, and so we thank you for that. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.